0: hey guys it's jay from pacific northwest sports i had an amazing time interviewing chris fisk who's the current head coach at central washington university from his time at the university of saint mary to southern oregon to central washington it was amazing to hear about everything he's done as an offensive coordinator as an o-line coach and then just how that actually progressed between record-setting offenses between having his O-line, his big nasty's not giving up sacks, and at one point driving from North Dakota and getting on the phone, driving to Southern Oregon to go be with his family because he did one more year in North Dakota, we learned a lot about the man and the guy who runs that program over in Ellensburg, Washington. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast because I know I did. Enjoy! <laughs> I am here with Coach Chris Fick, head coach of Central Washington University. How are you doing today, Coach? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So I understand you're the head coach of at Central Washington. What's that like?
1: Uh, dream job. You know, it's uh, uh, extremely grateful to our president, uh, Dr. Wolpart, and our athletic director, Dr. Dennis Francois, that, you know, a few years back, they gave me the opportunity to lead the program, and it's uh, something I'm passionate about and very fortunate to be in this role.
0: That's amazing, and that that opportunity. I actually was doing a little bit of research on it as well. So yep. I saw here you went to college at the University of Jamestown and Southwestern College as well.
1: Yep yeah I went to, you know growing up in Idaho. Um, this is pre-internet so I'm kind of dating myself you know kind of as internet was coming in and email and all those things and I had a buddy you know post high school I had a couple uh, private schools that were trying to get me to go play that I couldn't afford and uh, ended up going out to the Midwest because it was much cheaper uh, than the West Coast and uh, followed a friend out to, back then it was Jamestown College. It's uh, now the University of Jamestown, but uh, played three years there. And then uh, my my relationship with my wife took me down to Southwestern College in Kansas where I finished up my career and was fortunate enough as a player to be part of three playoff teams and uh, multiple conference championships and really be around great people.
0: And what position were you coach? I played center. I was a center in high school. No,
1: well, I went, I went to play uh, tight end, and uh, that didn't last very long for me. They our, our center got hurt, and they asked if anybody had experience because small college football. And I put my hand up, and ended up never leaving the
0: position. That's amazing. So you loved playing center. I would, I would hope, and I would assume. Where does that love come from?
1: Well, it's it's what I played all the way through high school. You know, I you know, um, I can remember as early as as uh, Pee Wee football that uh, you know they had weight limitations, and and at that age I was a bigger kid, so they the only position you could play was O line, and so you kind of learned old, early as a Pee Wee football player how important it was and how um, how important it was to your team's success. And so really fell in love with it as a, as a grade schooler and, um, you know, being at a, a, high school in Idaho, you know, probably would have played linebacker or something else. Um, but being one of the bigger kids on the team, you got put on the O line and we were fortunate enough to be part of a couple state championships in high school. And then a couple as a coach, you know, after I got done playing ball and, and just really, uh, fell in love with offensive line play and, you know how critical it is to a team.
0: So um, I I assume I won't be going out on too big of a thing here, uh, but I would say maybe the most uh, important position on the team is the offensive line. So what's your favorite to coach?
1: Well, you know the most important position on any team for both offense and defense is the quarterback. Um, you know, but but right behind that is is offensive line, and and uh, uh, in terms of what, what was the question? Position to coach
0: yeah favorite position to coach.
1: well, i always I always break it up like this. The most fun position to coach is the quarterback because I think every day is is fun. you're you're doing a lot of fun stuff. Um, the most the most important and hardest to coach position is the offensive line. and if you if you really kind of look at and study you know what what entails you know an entire day in an offensive lineman's life, there's not a lot of fun stuff going on there. Um, you know, in terms of, of practice and how you practice and drill work, you know it's it's extremely physical all the time. There's a lot of banging and uh, you're always kind of over there in O line heaven looking at uh, all these other guys prancing around with the football and maybe doing some drills that are pretty fun and that type of stuff. So it's uh, offensive line is extremely important, but uh, you know the 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 daily routine for an O lineman and a D lineman, um, you know, it's it's uh, you got to love the sport. You really got to love the grind and love what it entails.
0: I I think it's uh, being an offensive lineman is a beautiful, beautiful thing in football. And for sure, you're definitely looking at all the guys in La La Land, and you just know you're you're putting on your your hard hat and you're going to work.
1: Well, I think it's uh you know when you look at the the bigger guys in society, the guys that have some size to them there's not a lot of sports out there that are friendly to a big guy. You know, you, you kind of look at rugby. Um, there's certainly a few positions in there where it pays to be a, a big guy, but certainly not as big as, a, you know, a, a left tackle. And so it's, it's one of the few sports that, you know, a big guy can get out there, maybe heavyweight wrestler, but you can get out there and really kind of uh, use being a big guy to your advantage because there's a lot of times in life where it is not an advantage, but football is
0: one of those. For sure. Uh, so you had nine years at the University of Mary, 0-1 uh, to 10 First five, you were the, uh, the O-line coach. And then the last four, you were the uh, the O.C. What was your time like over at uh, that university?
1: It was wonderful. Um, what a, a great institution. Um, you know, really started my family there in Bismarck. Bismarck's an unbelievable community to live in. Um, the school is a great school. The mission there at the school is – is uh, a noble mission. And I think that, uh, you know, at the time in my life and where I was at and just the people that we were surrounded with, you know, my wife and I were just coming off of getting married and starting out our family. We really could not have picked a better place to do it in terms of the people that, you know, helped to take care of us and, and had great examples of what great parents were that were surrounding us and our kids and great friendships and uh, really cherish our time uh, in Bismarck
0: what was coaching football like over there with all that crazy weather? Cause it gets cold.
1: Well, you know, it's certainly in the later part of the season, you, you definitely dealt with that stuff. And then uh, spring ball wasn't always an adventure cause it's not really spring ball. It's late winter football, uh, in, in the Dakotas in the Midwest. And so that was an adventure, but we had an indoor facility and some places that we could go get better, um, and stay out of those conditions. But there certainly were some game days and some, some late fall practices that, uh, challenged your manhood and and your your grit and uh but you also learned a lot you know i i come out here and look at the players and and sometimes what they think is cold you're kind of like yeah there's a new level of cold that you guys don't know about
0: what got you out there coach where how'd you get that job and what made you know this is where i want to be
1: yeah i you know i went to college in the midwest and and the coaches that coached me in college From the time that I left college and I coached high school ball for a couple years in Pocatello, Idaho at Highland High School and um, you know the coaches that had coached me had moved to the University of Mary and started coaching on that staff most notably our defensive coordinator Paul Schaffner had moved over there and and he's the one that really got me hooked up with the head coach there Myron Schultz to get a graduate assistant position you know back in the day before all of these positions that you see in college football now were created Uh, it was extremely difficult to get a GA spot at any level, anywhere in the country. It was very competitive. And so, you know, I had an in there and uh, knew some people there. So that kind of took me back to the Midwest. I I told my wife, I said, listen, we're only going to North Dakota for two years. We can gut it out. And, you know, you obviously saw how long we were there. So, uh, but that's a testament to the place and the people. And, you know, it was really a place that we, that we wanted to live after living there, and and uh, so I knew people on that staff that that helped me in my life to get my first graduate assistant position, which turned into a full time job, and and like I said, it was a it was a great time, great period in our lives.
0: So you talk about that, you know, hey, honey, we're only going to be here two years, we'll gut it out, we'll be okay, and then it, it turns into more, but how did you what what was the plan after that because you you go down you know you're going to give a trial to the program but you also have to be looking for sight with a family as well what was the plan two years we're going to come back to idaho two years i'm going to find another job
1: well i knew i knew early in life that or early in in my life as a coach that you know don't plan too far out because in this profession you just don't know like we just didn't know that that's where the opportunities were going to come. You know, a lot of GAs get done ga and you're uncertain of whether or not you're going to get a job, let alone be able to stay in the profession. And so, um, you know, I just, my plan when I went there as a graduate assistant was, you know, I, I looked very early on at our head coach and he he was doing a lot of things that maybe, um, you know, he didn't want to be doing. or Or if I saw something that I could take off his plate and put on my shoulders, you know, I tried to, to take that off the head coach's plate. And I joke around about it and I think part of it's true and some of it's a joke, but I think I finally took enough off of his plate that he realized if I left the program, maybe those things would be back on his plate. So he was able to rally with the university and there, there really wasn't a full-time position available. Um, and he went to bat for me with the university and the university created a full-time position to retain me. And that was kind of how I got my first full-time coaching job because it was you know, very competitive to go out and find one, and had some leads on some stuff. But as soon as our my head coach Myron Schultz at the University of Mary came back and said, "Hey, you know, we'd like to create this position for you. Is it something you'd be interested in?" It was. It was hands down. Yes, I'm done looking. Love to raise my family here in Bismarck, and um, you know, couldn't have made a better decision at the time.
0: So you go, you stay there from 2001 to 2010, and then you head over to Southern Oregon from 2011 to 2015. Oh what caused that move?
1: Well, really, you know, my, I always, I joke around, uh, with our staff and boosters that, uh, uh, you know, I coach D2 football, but my wife is a, is a D1, uh, medical professional. And so my wife is in the medical profession and, and, uh, she was an extended an offer for a job in Medford, Oregon. And, and really at that time in our lives, you know, I wasn't making much money. She was doing okay. And it was a chance for us to you know really kind of get back out to the west which excited us being from idaho and you know growing up in idaho always kind of really enjoyed oregon washington the pacific northwest and could see myself and our family living out there and continuing to raise our family so when when that opportunity came up we just felt like as a family it was something we need to take advantage of and hope that you know i could land on my feet coaching and it just happened that you know, at the time, um, I moved my family out to Oregon, uh, settled them out, and I actually went back to Bismarck to coach one final season in the fall while my family was in Oregon, and finished up and and literally the day that I was driving out of Bismarck, North Dakota to rejoin my family in Oregon, i didn't I didn't know if I would be able to keep coaching. I didn't know if I could stay in the profession. Um, you know, I knew it was the right move for our family um, to go do this, but as I got into the car, I got word that the the head coach at Southern Oregon University had just been dismissed along with the staff and that they were going to go into a different direction. And so I remember uh, getting on the, the, the cell phone on the way out. I was driving my little Honda Accord from Bismarck back out to Oregon and driving through the night and making as many calls to as many people as I could that had ties into the program or knew people in the program. And I'd gotten to know Mark Helfrich, who was, you know, the the old coordinator for the Ducks for a long time. And, and he was with the University of Oregon at the time and called him up and just said, you know, I'm, I'm coming back out that way. Um, asked if I could meet him in Eugene, if he could set up a tour for my wife and I to see some of the facilities there. But really, I didn't want to see the facilities. I wanted to catch him. And I knew his his best, one of his good friends uh, was the athletic director there, Matt Sayer. And uh, was hoping that that Mark could put in a good word for me with the the athletic director, which ended up working for me um, as they went through the interview process. Um, was able to I had actually applied for the head coaching job, but they decided that I wasn't the direction they wanted to go. And um, you know, essentially, came down to that uh, the coach that they hired wanted me to come be um, a co-offensive coordinator, offensive line coach um, for them, and so. I landed on my feet. You know, I was was very lucky to be honest with you, that, that I was able to stay in college coaching.
0: That one year over in Bismarck, when you were, when you were there and your family was in Oregon, was there ever a thought after that year? Like, ah, you know, maybe I'll come back and do another year there. Or was it, did you know? No, I'm not.
1: No. You know, that was that, that four month span, you know, being away from my two daughters, being away from my wife, um, I knew right then that I would rather be out of football than continue to live life like that and um, and also knowing that you know in my mind that uh, that growing kids need their their mother and father around to, to grow up the right way and and I just uh, I do I, I wanted to be there you know and so when I when I was driving back, you know really not knowing, um and and every scenario playing through my mind on that drive i mean you got a long drive from Bismarck, north dakota to medford oregon to think about these things was you know i don't know that i'm qualified to do anything i've been coaching now for nine years what can i go do i'm thinking about used car sales i'm thinking about you know real estate thinking about getting into the you know pharmaceutical sales (laughs) and just really kind of any direction i could go if if this football thing didn't pan out. And I actually, you know, I got back in November, you know, it was no late part of November, December, January, and I actually didn't get hired until four months. And so it it took me about four months of kind of hanging on to see if I would get hired. And I was able, you know, I got hired in
0: February. That's great how the stars aligned and clearly Southern Oregon's very happy. You accepted that offensive coordinator position because In 2014, your offense goes on to throw for 5.7 thousand yards, uh, essentially being the number one passing offense in all of college football. And you're also second and third down conversion rate. For reference, for those who may not know, that 5,700 yards you threw as a team that year would lead the FBS this past season. So you were definitely throwing the heck out of the football.
1: Are you guys an air raid system? You know, I think it's important to um, you know just make sure all the facts. A guy by the name of Ken Fosnott, who Craig Howard brought with him from Nice High School in Florida, was was the coordinator. I was a co-coordinator in charge of the run game and and some of the logistics of getting coordination done. But that passing offense was all Coach Fosnott's, and it was all Coach Howard's passing offense that they used with Tim Tebow at Nice High School, which. A lot of that stuff ended up being a direct reflection of, you know, Tebow being at the University of Florida, kind of Urban Meyer's influence on that, that offense. Um, but learned a ton about the passing game from Coach Fosnott, learned a ton about the passing game from Coach Howard. And, uh, you know, really was the perfect time in my career to go coach with Coach Howard. Coach Howard had a different philosophy on coaching the game. But, you know, we, we you know, if you look at it, I know the the passing stats, you know really catch people's eye but you know we were able to run the football very effectively i think we ran for over 200 yards a game as well and and uh, in those years and and uh, we really could do it all but you know i always talk about it in in coaching it obviously takes good coaches to get the job done but it takes even better players and if you look at uh, that time there austin dodge was the quarterback and um, you know, I don't think any of us would be where we're at now. Uh, coach Fosnott, myself, there's another couple guys in there and Matt Atkins, who's at San Jose State as the tight ends coach, a rising star in the profession. Uh, Greg Stewart, who's now the offensive coordinator at Southern Oregon, uh, who's a running back coach for us at the time, You know, I, I think all of our careers um, improved, progressed, and we're all at these positions today due to Austin Dodge and then the guys that surrounded him because Austin had some awfully good skilled players to throw the ball to, great wide receivers, and uh, really dedicated kids. You couldn't ask for a better group of young men. They they did everything that we asked exactly the way we asked to do it. Um, they I've never been around a group of kids that worked harder in the offseason than those kids at that time in Southern Oregon University and um, you know it, there was a lot of leadership in that program from a lot of different guys not just austin dodge but you know somebody had to throw the ball unfortunately for us it was austin dodge
0: did you ever uh, just look at coach and go hey you know i know we're averaging 200 yards a, a game rushing the ball but you know you're throwing for a lot is there any way we can call some more run plays in there and just really let my guys go <laughs> never i i don't care i don't
1: care how the job gets done whether it's throwing or running the ball um, you know, and I think the thing when you, when you coach on a team like that as an offensive lineman or an offensive line coach, you know, go look at our stats, our sack stats from those years. I think we, you know, our, our highest total year on that was I think 12 sacks on the season. And so, you know, the great thing about coaching with coach Fosnot, who was the quarterback coach and, and coach Howard and coach Stewart, and then coaching the old line was, Everybody on that offensive staff took responsibility for sacks. They didn't just point it at the O-line coach or the running back coach and go, "Well, it's your fault." Coach not took as much pride as anybody um, in the quarterback getting the ball out on time and not leaving himself available to be sacked. And so, you know, along with the the total yardage number and the touchdowns, I think something that we were always extremely proud of was we didn't take sacks, we didn't take negative plays, and and we learned a lot from Coach Howard and Coach Fosnod on on how to accomplish that and make sure that the ball does get out on time and uh, really a, a special time, you know, to be part of that offense and learn from those guys.
0: Nothing more satisfying than an O lineman, and you know this when you can look back at your quarterback at the end of the game and you say they don't got anything on that jersey. I that mean yeah, it is.
1: And I think kind of the misnomers, you look at those numbers too, you know, a, a great chunk of those throwing numbers came from you know, run game RPOs, run game screens, where the quarterback, instead of giving the ball through the ball, and, you know, was really a testament to that O line group and running back group because we had great running backs. Um, we had great offensive linemen there that, you know, you had to get the guys in the box. And if you didn't, we were going to penalize you through the RPO game. And, and uh, you know, the quarterback was unbelievable at doing those things. But, you know, really all the stars kind of aligned there because, you know, you, you really had a, a dominant offensive line unit great skill players and a quarterback that could distribute the ball to all of those players and make the right reads.
0: So you head over to Central Washington in 2016. Yep. And what was that first year there like?
1: It was great. You know, uh, Coach Shoemaker, Ian Shoemaker brought me up here, who's now the co-offensive coordinator at Hawaii. Um, I knew Coach Shoemaker from back in my time at the Midwest. So it's funny how all these things end up tying together. But Coach Shoemaker coached at Minot State. We played some NEI playoff games against each other. And then he had moved out to a D3 school and then ended up at St. Cloud State. And we made the transition to D2 football in the Northern Sun. So we ended up playing against each other. And where we got to know each other, uh, we would do camp at North Dakota State. So we'd go work team camp and individual camp at North Dakota State. And you find yourself with a lot of time in the evening to talk ball and develop those relationships. But knew Ian from from back in those days and when he got out here in 2014, you know, reconnected with him and just kind of stayed in touch with him and ran it really just ran into him at the convention in 2016. He was looking for an O line coach. I felt like we had kind of done what we needed to do at Southern Oregon. We needed a new challenge and needed to, you know, surround myself with more new people that I could learn and grow from and and take what I had learned and, you know, hopefully bring it to another staff. But when I got here in 2016 we really had a uh, a repair job to do on the offensive line here at at uh, Central Washington. I think in 2015 it was either the high 20s or the low 30s in in number of total sacks. I think we were we were only rushing for maybe under 130 yards per game. And in 2016, really kind of laid the foundation to make a big jump. In 2017, we were a little bit better in 2016, but uh, you know once we kind of be able to, to set the standard there and help coach shoe set that standard along with coach power defensively. Um, and all of those things came together. We had a really, you know, a, a fantastic 2017 season, but 2016 was a year of growth. It really challenged me, um, to be able to come solve the things that I had learned with a new group of guys. And, you know, you're certainly dealing with some, some really, premier athletes. We had an All-American left tackle. We had, you know, great offensive linemen, guys that were very dedicated and and really coach Shoemaker's groundwork that he had laid in 2014 and 15 made it easy for me to come in and take over a group that was very hungry to, to compete and, and play better.
0: And compete and play better is what you did because in 2017, that jump you were talking about is... I think that's a little bit of a light word for what happened. You became a O line regarded as one of the best in the nation in 2017. Uh, But if we want to look into the numbers, which don't always necessarily tell the truth, but you gave up 14 sacks on the whole year. Yep. And then in terms of rushing, you had the 11th best rushing offense in the nation.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we did a lot of good stuff, but it goes back, and it, it goes back to the original statement, you know. Of the O line being the most important position group, not true. We 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 got a transfer quarterback from Eastern Washington University and Riley Hennessy and and uh, you know through Riley's leadership, his dedication to the game, his relationship with his teammates, you know all of those things coming together with Riley leading our team as the quarterback, um, and we obviously brought in some great running backs. Um, changed a couple things here and there, and Coach Shoemaker being a great offensive mind, uh, we were able to accomplish some amazing things. But, you know, the great thing about um, coming up here to Central Washington, getting to coach with a guy like Scott Power, who's now the D coordinator at Louisiana Tech, um, I had never been part of a a program at, at that point of being around such a dominant defense that you kind of offensively, you're able to walk into the office and go, you know, if we can score 17 points this week, we're going to be in a pretty good spot, which is, it's a lot better feeling than going into the office and going, you know, if we don't score 45, we're in trouble. Um, there's a little more pressure relief there, but we had, you know, just a great staff. You look back on that staff that we had in 2017, you know, coach, coach Shoemaker at the top of the whole thing is offensive coordinator. He's from Washington. Um, I'm the head coach here now. Um, coach Peak is still with me. That coached on that team is an assistant coach here for us. Um, Scott Powers at Law Tech. He took Kimo von Olhoffen's over there, working with him at Law Tech. Nate Johnson's a safety coach. Benny Boyd, who was our special teams coordinator, corners coach, is at the University of Wyoming, doing the same job there uh, in the Mountain West. And you know, we just had Jay Dumas, who was a longtime Big Sky coach, as our wide receiver coach. We just had such a a great coaching staff. Brandon Gibson came in and coached wide receivers as well for us, who played at Wazoo. Spent a lot of time in the NFL as a player. We just had such a great staff, um, and then great kids. You know, we had uh, great defensive personnel, great offensive personnel, and and really, you know, lost in the in the second round of the eventual national champs in a double overtime barn burner that we lost by a field goal and. You know some people would argue that the national championship might have been played that day uh, in ellensburg washington because of the type of game it was
0: i would agree with that statement actually uh (laughs) you become the head coach in 2019 what was that application process like and how did it feel to know that i'm the head coach now i'm I'm the head guy
1: yeah you know i'd kind of been preparing to try to be a head coach for a long time Uh, about a five-year process of putting my manual together and the way that I thought things should be done and the spins that I wanted to put onto it and so you know when Ian came in and told me he was going to take the O coordinator position at Eastern Washington and his his mission was to try to set me up in the best position with our athletic director possible to take over the program and then really getting Coach Pika's blessing. Coach Pika is a you know, the long, long run coach here at at Central Washington, I think he's been in the program 35 years between playing and coaching and so getting his blessing. And then really, you know, I'd prepared a lot of things for the interview process, but really came down, the AD came in, asked me a few things here and there, felt very comfortable in our, you know, our three years that we'd already spent together that I could lead the program. And so it was a very short uh, interview process. And, and, uh, you know, I always say this, and I think for for you know, young young assistant coaches or coordinators that aspire to be a head coach, is really do your homework on what it is to be a head coach. Because I thought I knew, and uh, it's it's way more about group dynamics and your players than you could ever imagine. And, and dealing with 110 personalities on a daily basis and making sure they're all taken care of, whether that's you know their their physical uh makeup and what they need to do to progress as a player but their mental health along with that and so you know i learned a lot that first year and i think you know in my first year is i learned a lot of what not to do and the way to be a head coach and you know still learning today um still still do some good things at times do some mistakes at times but uh learn learn more about it every single day but you know, going the difference of, you know, year one versus going into my fifth year of being a head coach is I'm going into fall camp very comfortable in my my shoes, I'm very comfortable in that head coach's seat of what needs to happen, the direction that we need to go and the things that need to happen compared to year one where you're trying to discover yourself and the way you want to be a head coach. I feel very comfortable in that role right now and and really excited for Saturday as our players check in.
0: All right, coach, you mentioned it. I I have to ask, what's one of those things you did year one that you look back now and you're like, what the hell was I thinking?
1: Well, the list is long. You know, I think, you know, um, I I think here's the biggest thing is been an O-line coach for a lot of years. And there's a certain way you got to coach O-line. There's a toughness about the position. There's a grit about the position. There's just even in the way that we talked about how those guys practice on a daily basis. And I think the biggest mistake I made as a as a first year head coach is really kind of trying to coach the whole team like their old linemen, you know, all the time that intensity, um, that grit, and trying to bring that to the team. Where, you know, most notable was we had a great kicker. Um, you know, and I, I tell this story to anybody that asks. Is you know the kicker kind of came in at the end of the season, was like, Coach, you know, I don't know if I want to play football anymore. You're up my ass every every second of the day, and and I learned right then, you know, you can't coach a kicker like you coach a left tackle or a center. And and that was an eye-opener for me. And that that player really brought that to my attention and opened my eyes to that. And that was a great period for that to happen. He ended up staying with the program because I committed to making some changes as the head coach, but but really kind of opened my eyes up to really kind of, you know, look at myself, look at the way I do things, look at the way I coach these players individually and individually in their different position groups and try to take a different approach to the way I do stuff. So I would say that was my biggest mistake and my biggest learning um, curve through that first year and also the biggest step that I took in my second year.
0: And clearly you were learning well because you guided Central to a GNAC title in 2021. Yep. What was that like looking back and going, hey, I just did that. We're we're in a better spot.
1: Well, in 2019, we were co-champions of the Gene Act. In 21, we were outright. But you know, my my uh I think anybody that became a head coach in 2019 or 20, um, you were you were in for something that nobody could predict. And um for first time head coaches, you know, that time period in our country um really was was gonna challenge your leadership abilities. And so you know, coming into nineteen, that was kind of the last year that we've kind of had a normal season here at Central. And even this year, we still have some challenges. But you know, you go into twenty, and the world ends in in uh, March, and we go into COVID and the challenges that that brought to try to keep a team together, to try to not let the transfer portal you know infect your whole team. And we we had that too with a couple players, and then keeping our guys together through through COVID. And not just COVID, you know, I still tell people today, COVID was not the biggest challenge. The social justice movement and the things that were going on in our country racially, uh, that was the biggest challenge. And keeping our team together and as a white head coach to try to make sure that, you know, I gave our our minority athletes everything that they could possibly need during an extremely sensitive time um, was, a, was an enormous challenge. And... and Fortunately on our coaching staff, we had a young defensive GA that played for us at Southern Oregon. Um, His name is AJ Cooper. He's now the linebackers coach at uh, Sacramento state. Um, But luckily I had him right next to me, helping me through this journey, helping me to understand a different uh, point of view and a different perspective as we went through this as a country and, and really helped me as a head coach, try to guide and, and without his, his help and without his leadership within our program, I don't know if I would have made it through as a head coach through that period and it had nothing to do with COVID. And so uh, fortunately I had hired great people and uh, great coaches that, that you know, when when those issues came up, their expertise and leadership really shined and gave them that opportunity to shine. And, and uh, another, you know, really great rising star in this profession, AJ Cooper, Um, don't know what I would have done without them during that period. And, and, uh, you know, so we had that. And then immediately after COVID finally settled, you know, we've been going through this renovation of our athletic facilities here in Ellensburg, which is turning into a little bit over a year and a half process where our kids have been displaced. We haven't had a locker room. We haven't had showers. We haven't had. Uh, a lot of these things, because of the construction, we have some more challenges here as we head into fall camp. As that construction wraps up, we really don't have a locker room heading into fall camp, you know. And so we've had all these challenges. I, I was, I was not joking with our athletic director that since I took over the program, 2019 is the only kind of normal year we've had. Every, every year since then, we've either had COVID, we've had, you know, the 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 social move, the social justice movement that we've worked. Uh, through um, you know that time period, then we've working through these construction issues. Our guys were in annexes for locker rooms all last fall, and and our kids did a great job handling all that, and they'll do a great job handling it this fall until we can get into the new facility. But I'm excited for a time where um, we're not dealing with hurdles and that we get to just focus on football and you know trying to win win games for our university.
0: That's good, uh, and. Uh... I think that's amazing you were able to work that out with all those social justice things and COVID. That's a hard thing for a first-year coach to come in and take over, a first-year head coach.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, it, you know, it certainly didn't come without its bumps in the road, but uh, we we certainly, you know, and it, again, it goes to a testament to the kids and the culture that we have here um, that we were able to work through all of those phases.
0: And so you guys end up leaving the GNAC conference in 2022. Uh, yep. What was the driving force for leaving that?
1: Well, the I don't know that uh, yeah. we left the GNAC conference as much as the D, you know, the G- just, yeah. you know, Azusa Pacific dropped football. There was only a, a couple teams left. Scheduling, you know, d D two teams out in the Midwest. We had us, Western Oregon, Simon Frazier, Simon Frazier who just recently cut football. But you know, it, we needed a conference, we needed a home. You know, being in a great conference like the Lone Star Conference was a no-brainer. It was the right move for Western Oregon. It was the right move for Central Washington. It's wonderful to be in that conference. The competition is through the roof week in and week out. There's not a team you can snooze on. You can't just roll your helmet out there and think you're going to win football games or you're going to get punched in the mouth. And so Um, you know, it just made sense for us. It made sense for the Lone Star Conference. They were shorting some teams, you know, some teams in Texas had made the jump to FCS and, and they needed teams and we needed a home and, you know, create some definite uh, travel logistic issues. But, um, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's such an honor to be part of such a storied conference, a conference with a great history to it and, And to be in that conference and picked where we're picked right now, uh, it's an honor every year to be in it and certainly have a lot of respect for the the coaches and the players in that conference.
0: Of course. And so going to the Lone Star Conference, you just talked about the travel logistics of it. That is, I mean, you're flying down to Texas, oh, you know, what, three, four, five times a year right now. What's that like?
1: It's hard. It's a, you know, we we talk about I think every coach in the Lone Star talks about it. The teams the teams that can handle the travel the best in the Lone Star are the teams that you're gonna find at the end of the season, you know, in that top three and four positions. And so, you know, we've it's a little bit different. If you're a Lone Star conference team, you gotta fly up here once uh once a year. You know, for <laughs> us we gotta fly down there four times and just unfortunate this year that it all seems to be on the back end of our schedule. I think in in our last four games, we've got three trips down to Texas, so we'll have our work cut out for us. But you know, it's it's. I don't think anybody will have an appreciation for what our kids do and what they what they go through to be part of of this program and the travel that it includes. You know, if you're a Division One player, you're hopping on a charter flight, you're chartering down direct, you're getting off, you're playing games, you're hopping on, you're coming home. Our kids, we get on a bus, we drive over to SeaTac for an hour and a half. We, we wait just like everybody else and go through that security line and make sure we're there two hours early. Hopefully our flight's on time. Uh, you know, that can be a challenge on commercial flights and we fly commercially down to Texas. Hopefully, hopefully we got one stop and on a bus and to our, our site. Sometimes there's a connecting flight to another location. So, you know, those guys are putting in 12 to 16 hour travel days on Friday and then You know, expected to go out and play to the best of their ability on Saturday, and our guys seem to be able to do that for the most part. We had one big letdown in Texas last year, but uh, you know, our 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 kids are putting in the same amount of time, preparation, effort that those FBS kids are putting in, but certainly have that added layer of traveling commercially um, that those other kids don't have to go through. And so, my hats off to our kids. And you know, I think there's a grit that it takes to play at this level, and And uh, our kids certainly have that
0: grit. I couldn't even imagine flying down and having to get a a layover, making sure all my stuff's there and all that stuff. So props to you. And you mentioned grit and you've said it a couple different times. I imagine it's one of the pillars of your program, but what are some of those foundational pieces or pillars of your program that you look at that you say, when I'm done playing this team, I want them to know that Central Washington does X, Y, and Z.
1: Yeah, you know, we call, it, we call it the fourth quarter program, and I'm not ashamed to say that it's a straight ripoff of Nick Saban's fourth quarter program, which, you know, kind of originated, if you look at the origins of the fourth quarter program, it starts with Coach Perlis at Michigan State. and was a Michigan State thing. But, you know, when we look at the quarter fourth quarter program, you know, we talk about, you know, discipline. We talk about toughness, pride. Commitment, and you know when we look at these values in our fourth quarter program, you know we hope when we get done with that, you know we're the most disciplined team. You know we we want teams to feel our toughness, and it's not just your physical toughness—that's certainly part of it—but your mental toughness. You know we want to look at the commitment that we have towards one another. That when games get hard, we don't fall apart. We definitely want people to feel like you know we take a lot of pride in the logo that we wear and the the university that we play for, and I think our guys do that. And you know, there's there's just some core values in there that we hope when we walk away from the game. And it doesn't matter if it's the team we play or the fans that come watch us play. You know, we want we certainly want our fan base to leave our stadium going. You know what? I'm proud of the effort that I just saw on the football field. I think these guys play the game. It's the the way it's supposed to be played, um, and that these guys truly love and care for each other, and they care for us and that they're proud that they're a Central Washington Wildcat and that we're bringing a positive football experience to our campus. You know, I want our our president, I want our our professors, I want the heads of the departments. I want them all to be proud that that we are the people that get to represent that have the the ability to represent this university and that they're proud of the effort that we put into this and how serious we take it. It's not it's not just for fun. You know, it's it's for a purpose and you know, hopefully uh, our university is proud of the way we represent them
0: that's good those are really good things to have at the base of the program and and look at so as far as getting people to fit that mold uh, when you're recruiting yep. what's uh, what's recruiting like with you what are some things that you say i won't even look at a recruit if x uh
1: you know i th- i think it it always starts like this in terms of the progression of recruiting is your your height weight your numbers in terms of drills and all those things your your bench press your squat your 40 time your film you know those things get you on the board like those are the, the that's the easy part of recruiting is you know the get the kid's big enough he's strong enough he's fast enough that's the the important part and the the, the first part the important part is is the information that comes out of this and and uh, you know, a long time ago, I think Coach Hawkins, Dan Hawkins, he called it the drip list, is that essentially, you know, there are these people in the in this player's life that know him the best. And we try to go navigate that process. The first person that has to sign off on that young person is their high school football coach. And I, I still value that relationship and that opinion as much as anything. Um, as we go talk to high school coaches, you know, is this guy a competitor? Is he a great teammate? Does he care about his teammates? You know, we always talk about this. We're not looking for free agents. We're not looking for independent contractors. That's not what football is built on. It's, a, it's the ultimate team sport. And so I'm really looking for that. I'm looking for a young man who values the same things that we value in our program. And, and you know, hopefully as we go through that recruiting process, we learn about these young men through their head coaches, their families. You know, I really like to get into the house and see what kind of family structure there is and you know, whether or not this this young man values family and values that structure because that's what our structure is about. It's about a brotherhood. and so um, you know really those are the things that you go find out after you check off on can he play the sport? is it big enough, fast enough, strong enough? It's really that drip list of people in that young person's life that can kind of sign off that their their core values fit our core values and what we want to do. you know if if I always I always it's a joke around, but I always talk about you know, Community service is a big part of what we do in our program. So if you hate community service, you probably need to check yourself first. But you're not going to fit in well because you're going to be miserable because we're going to be out there helping our community, and you got to feel like that's an important thing for you and what we what you want to do in your life. You know, that's just one 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 small example. But you know, those things are important to us.
0: So when you get that email and they go, "Hey, coach, uh, you know, I ran a four two this last weekend." Uh, I think you might want to check out the tape. Are you just going, oh, yeah, no, you ran a 4-2 as a high school kid. I believe it.
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I, I learned this early on is, is uh, if you're going to give me a 40 time, it better be verified by somebody I trust or myself. And so, you know, if if, if a young man goes up to Eastern Washington's camp and runs a 4 two forty, 40 he's probably going to be talking to Coach Best or, or Coach DeBoer or Coach Dickert. Uh, first off. Um, secondly, as you know, I we, we don't uh, trust any times that just come across the board. We need to see it in person and, you know, time it with my own hand.
0: They're just giving a little favorable, favorable trigger right there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no doubt about it.
0: So you mentioned the coaches around Washington. Is, is it kind of a brotherhood a little bit in terms of we're all looking out for each other?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, when when the the big sky schedule comes out, even though I'm from, I'm originally from Pocatello, Idaho. And I, I certainly peek at what the Bengals have up against them, but I, I always tend to look right at Eastern Washington's schedule and see what they got on the, on the slate. And, you know, when it comes to Saturday and I'm keeping track of those big sky scores, you know, we're rooting for the Eagles unless we have to play them. You know, if they're, if they're playing Montana or Idaho or any of those, I'm, I'm rooting for the in-state schools as much as I can, you know, PLU and and Whitworth and UPS. I hope they knock off the Linfield Wildcats and um, you know certainly rooting for the Ducks or I'm sorry the 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 Huskies and the and the Cougs as they as they go play that Pac-12 schedule and then you know I'll kind of keep it to myself who I'm hoping to win the Apple Cup but um, you know we're
0: a Coug family we're, we're going for the Cougs right
1: we're a Coug family well I do know this as you look across the head coaches in this state. You know, Kalen DeBoer is is and and Coach Dickert. The the they're lucky in the state of Washington that those two guys are leading those programs because they they value the right things. You know, those those are some of the the best in the profession. Coach Best is one of the best in the profession. Uh Unbelievable guy. You know, I always kind of look at Coach Best and myself. We're we're both O line guys, and so the O line guys don't always get the shot to run the programs, and so. We got to make sure that we uh, encourage more ads to take a shot on those old line guys. But you know, same with Coach Eck out at Idaho, being an old line guy. And so, you know, you just got so many quality head coaches up in the Pacific Northwest. Whether it's you know Coach Hout, Coach Vegan, Coach Eck, Coach both Coach Hawkins. You know, there there's just so many great head coaches in this area, and and so many people to learn from and learn the game. But no no better than what's in our state. You know. They, I have I, I look at Coach DeBoer and Coach Dickert and really hold them up on a pedestal as, you know, that's that's what you would like to be at some point in your career.
0: I think you're right. I think the Northwest, uh, not only in Washington, but just our our hopes of Northwest, has a very uh, unique coach. It's you have to be unique to coach out here, right? It's not you're not coaching down in the Bible Belt. You're not coaching over in Texas, although you may be coaching in Texas, yep. uh, but it's it's different. Um, and that's why I think this podcast is so cool because we're shedding light on not just football, but all the different sports, but the things that make the Pacific Northwest unique in some ways, that's all of our football teams and different things like that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's to me, you know, it's, it would take a lot to drag me out of the Pacific Northwest. I, I love it up here and, and definitely could see myself coaching the rest of my life up in, up in this region. And, and, uh, you know, it's again, there's just so many quality people and so many programs, and it's a, it's a great place to be.
0: You talked about Central being your dream job. Is that true, or was that just, oh, well, I'm a head coach, now, so it's the dream, or what makes Central the dream job and the place you're happy to be?
1: Yeah, well, I would tell you as a, as a young person, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to coach as early as 16 years old, and so, uh, you know, I've kind of got dream jobs at every level. but. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's a dream job for me because of the location, the people um, that, that make up our community here at Central. And I know, you know, when I when I am working at Central Washington University, I know that our president, our athletic director are committed to winning, and they want to win as badly as I do, and they want to put the resources forward to get the job done. And so it's a dream place to coach because football in Ellensburg is important you know people love football here it's a sports community you know Ellensburg high school on down the line it's a sports community and so the support and the love for football that people have in our community the love for it on campus it's an easy place to coach you know you go you go walk around central washington university campus you're not going to see a a coug sweatshirt or a, a dog sweatshirt you know the people that are here going to school here take pride in going to school here that's something i really enjoy you know i've been at some stops where uh, every sweatshirt but yours, you know, there's a lot of ducks and beaver sh- shirts down at Southern Oregon at times on campus. And, and so it's great to be at a place where people take pride in this place. You know, you go downtown, the businesses take pride in being part of the Central Washington family, the support that we get, the financial support and sponsorship that our athletic department gets. You know, you can't really, it's a, to me, it's a top 10 D2 job in the country. And like I said at the beginning, I'm blessed to be able to lead it.
0: And my mom's a grad of Central Washington in '84, so okay. uh, when I told her I was interviewing you, she was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" So good. <laughs> she was definitely excited. But no, Central's a unique place, right? Like, there's yep. definitely no other place like it. I uh, <clears throat> my brother lives over in Richland, Washington, so when I come up, I get the the, the graciousness that I stop over in Ellensburg. Sometimes it's just at that there's uh the Flying J, but I know yep. you guys are just right down the road.
1: <laughs> That's kept secret in Washington. That's most people. It's the pit stop between uh, Spokane, Tri-Cities, and the west side. But uh, there's a great campus here and a great thing going on in Ellensburg.
0: It's, it's a beautiful campus. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I know you're super busy, so I got five questions for you if you have yep. some time. Yep. So you're at a gas station. You're about to go on a long road trip, all right? Forget forget going to SeaTac. You're going all the way down to Texas. You have to drive. What's yeah. your go-to snack and your go-to drink?
1: Well, I'm gonna. Um, I'm getting older, so I'm getting water um, for the for the drink because I'm. I, I don't want the, the the sugar, and that type of stuff. So I'm gonna get some water, and then uh, for a snack, I'm gonna get some uh, cracked pepper seeds to make sure I stay awake while I'm driving, and maybe a pack of bubble gum.
0: All right, what flavor bubble gum?
1: Uh, spearmint
0: always. Okay. Yep. All right. Who's your favorite athlete of all time?
1: That's yeah, a tough question. Cause that's a, there's uh and the longer you live there, there's more great athletes. And this is always a hot button topic in our, our staff room and with our players, you know, you've got the Le- LeBron, Michael Jordan debate, you've got all those things. But for me, you know, the reason that I fell in love with football and it goes back to the 85 bears is, is Walter Payton's sweetness. And uh, he's my all time goat, you know, as, in terms of athletes and, you know, kind of the reason that I fell in love with sports and just seeing that headband and, and the ruse, uh, shoes and, and all that stuff, it goes back to sweetness for me.
0: All righty. That's a, that's the first time I've ever had someone answer with sweetness. Yep. Who's your, or what's your favorite time of the year?
1: Um, well, the obvious answer is football season, but that's not true. I, I love Christmas and, uh, especially as I'm getting older, my daughters have, uh, you know, are out of the house and uh, our, our grandparents are getting older and all that type of stuff. And Christmas brings the whole family together. And, you know, there's just not not some, anything quite like Christmas when you can reconnect with everybody and hopefully get everybody under one roof. So I really love the, the holiday season and the Christmas
0: time. That's good. What's your favorite sport team at the high school, college, and pro level? However, you cannot pick somewhere you've played or coached at
1: um favorite sports team at the the we'll start with the pro uh so the nfl um you know being a being a mid mid 80s 90s child i'm favorite sports teams are the chicago team so i'm a bears bulls guy um you know because that was you know the 85 bears michael jordan and so just fell in love with chicago sports professionally growing up um i would tell you that my favorite my favorite college uh team to watch and I always get a lot of crap for this one because they, you know, guys accuse me of being a bandwagon guy, but I've got photos of myself as a teenager wearing Alabama gear. And so Alabama is really my favorite uh, college football program and call, you know, I watch Alabama softball, Uh, recently got to watch basketball because they got good at basketball over last year and they got good at baseball. But um, you know, I, I really dive into Alabama sports. I'm really love following Nick Saban and, and his career and just, you know, the model of consistency, right, in coaching profession, Um, so I follow Alabama quite frequently in in terms of the college level, Um, and then high school, you know, I got to throw it back to uh, my hometown, I think Pocatello uh, High School Sports is where it's at, so it doesn't matter if you're talking Highland High School, Pocatello High School, or Century High School, I'm going to throw it back to Pocatello High School Sports.
0: I had a, uh, my old boss over at Costco, Emily, she actually went to all three high schools. And so she was like, they're all amazing. And I think people may not know this, but I believe Taysom Hill grew up in Pocatello and attended Century High School as well.
1: Uh, Highland High School. Highland. Yeah. So he actually played for my high school JV coach, who uh, is Gino Mariani. And uh, who was a kind of a legend there in, in Pocatello along with, Uh, Coach Cutter, it was really unique growing up there because I played for a guy by the name of Jim Cutter and Brent Cutter. And uh, Coach Cutter's son, Dirk Cutter, was the head coach at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Boise State, Arizona State. And so we we were coached at a very young age and got an extremely valuable uh, football education from some really good coaches and just really fortunate to be able to learn from those guys, not only as a player, but later as a coach.
0: It's good i definitely did not know that one so that's cool uh so are you a country music fan by any chance
1: so this is a hot button topic here at my house um so uh my daughter just went to the taylor swift concert and helped cause the earthquake over there in seattle but uh, (laughs) i'm a little bit more of a 90s country you're talking garth brooks and kind of that generation i don't i don't dabble too much into the uh the modern country too much i'm uh, as i'm getting older i find that uh dave matthews is kind of where i'm at
0: (laughs) it's funny how uh as you get older like music just starts sounding different to you i actually i can't remember where i saw or read it but it was somewhere where it said your brain actually around the age of 25 to 28 that's when your brain stops basically i don't know how the it works but stops accepting quote-unquote new music you'll find yourself at 50 60 listening to music at 28 and you're like it's still great and yep. all the new music you hear, you're
1: like that's not good. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a couple rules for for practice music. Is there's got to be one Pearl Jam song per day because uh, that's my band, and then uh, sneak a Dave Matthews every three days uh, yeah. on there. Uh, got to have one Johnny Cash song for Coach Pika, and then we need an ACDC song because everybody likes AC/DC. Otherwise, uh, it's all for the kids after that
0: i was actually talking to coach uh mike Nighthold. uh he's the head coach over there in Richmond high school yep and uh speaking to him about kind of like his music gets him fired up and he was like oh pearl jam baby gotta have my pearl jam on game day
1: every time uh mike and i get together we geek out about pearl jam together yeah you know mike huh yep so mike uh mike went to the the home shows that pearl jam did a few years back and and when i found out he went to that i saw it on his facebook or twitter or something and uh, so the next time we got together, we, we started talking Pearl Jam. And so I've, I've got a few Pearl Jam t-shirts and and that's uh, you know, that Pearl Jam, Dave Matthews are kind of what I geek out on music.
0: Well, Mike actually went to high school with my mom uh, and he's, he's like a very close family friend. So I actually was yep. talking to him yesterday. Um, so I wish I, I wish I should have told him I was talking to Chris. He probably would have yep. been like, Oh,
1: <laughs> no, he's a, he's also a great central alum.
0: Yeah. All right. So the, the lineage of that fifth question uh, I'll get to for you is there's, there's a guy named Luke Combs and he has yep. a song called doing this and it's opening line. He says, someone once asked me in an interview, what was growing up? Like, where'd you go to school? And what would you do if you weren't doing this? So my question to you coach is what would you do if you weren't a coach at central Washington university?
1: Um, I'd be a coach somewhere else. You know, I just, I know that's, that's a a bad answer and you're looking for some other profession. I I imagine at some level um, I would have gotten into construction and tried to own my own um, construction company on some level. But, you know, I just, like I said, at, at the age of 16, I looked at the coaches that I was being coached by Jim Cutter, Brent Cutter, Gino Mariani, the the influences that we had in the city of Pocatello at the coaching level, Ryan Fleischman, um, you know, Warren Whitaker, Chris Frost. I mean, I go on and on, just how many great coaches we had growing up. And and those guys probably don't know it or don't appreciate it, but, you know, how many young men in that that uh, that that town that they affected and made them made them men and made them accountable adults and you know when you had all those great examples it was easy to go man those guys i want to be like those guys and so i knew at the early age of 16 that that this is what i wanted to do and to answer your question nothing was going to stop me so even if i wasn't the head coach here i would have been in coaching you know some some form or fashion and and i just love it i love you know i hope that people that spend time in our program are better people when they're done with it, regardless if they get an opportunity to play professionally, regardless if they do anything with football after their time here, I hope they're better people, and that their lives are going to be better, and that we've had a positive impact because all of those coaches that I mentioned had such a uh, such a um, positive impact on my life, and, and I know you hear it a lot, but I owe everything in life that I have, my wife, my kids, the way I've brought my kids up my philosophy on life, and it really everything I owe to the game of football, to the coaches that gave me a chance to get my college career started, Myron Schultz, Bud Edsel, Paul Schaffner, you know, I owe those guys everything, and those guys really, you know, you kind of almost get emotional talking about it, because those guys really built the life that I have, and helped me to become who I am, and the position that I have today, And and without all those great people in my life, you know, I don't know what I'd be doing, I might be on a, on a, well, I won't say because I don't want to put down any professions, but <laughs> I might be doing something else that maybe isn't quite as fun as coaching college
0: football. That's good. I was just speaking with Mark Branch. He's the head coach of uh, wrestling over at the University of Wyoming. Yep. And uh, I asked him the same question. He actually, he said, I, I'd be working in construction, doing something like that. So. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I couldn't see myself stuck in an office, and I really enjoyed, you know, spent some time in construction. I really enjoyed the process of building things. To a final finished product, um, and you know, so I could have seen myself. Now I don't think I would have been ha- I would have been happy owning a company versus uh, working for a company. But you know, that goes back to that leadership role. I would have wanted to do things my way.